0: From baseball's top personalities.
1: The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman. with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear.
0: If you make your way down here, I I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This
1: This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. We love giving you a little A's unfiltered here on A's cast because we have so many great guests. We like to relive from A's cast live. And this is a real smart crew right here. Doug Glanville, Tim Kirkshin, and Darren Jackson. We'll start with Doug Glanville, who works for the Cubs as an analyst, who works for ESPN, who writes and does a podcast with Jason Stark on The Athletic. And oh yeah, he's a professor at UConn nobody's smarter in the business than Doug Glanville. Doug, great to have you on the program once again. We're, we're just talking about what we saw last night is <laughs> we all as baseball players remember Field of Dreams, how special that movie was, and to see everything that happened last night, boy, did Major League Baseball knock it out of the park. What'd you think?
0: Yeah, well, when you think about iconic, I, that's the word I always use for Field of Dreams. I think of it as, iconic and that just means it's representative of you know how baseball kind of created this this spirit of of hope and change and and sort of the core elements of how you think of baseball being this sort of spiritual connection uh that you know all of us fans share and i thought they did a, a nice job of just recapturing it it's something we're all trying to reflect back on especially in these times we've been kind of indoors and on zoom a lot we're looking back at some of the nostalgia of our life and you know it's so nice to you know be able to reimagine it in a way yet maintain some of the core sensibility uh you know that's something that is always part of baseball whether you're building you know camden yards or you know historic stadium or whatever you're doing you're always having this sense of we're looking back but we're also looking forward so i thought they did a nice job of of bringing that together
1: don't you think that every franchise and every player, if we did this one time a year, would, would all at one time of their career want to do this?
0: In the short, yes. I think they would love I know if I played, I would love to do something like it or, you know, think about other examples. Well, Bull Durham was one of my favorite movies, for example. So I, I did play actually where Durham played back when the Bull was there um, in, in A-Ball. So I, I think it's great to be part of that history. It's it's something that baseball is great at with all the storytelling. It, it's what separates baseball from so many other sports. That, that certain history and how it's always stays alive. Like playing for the Cubs or the Phillies, all the classic players they were always around. You know, I saw in fact they were coaches many times. So I played for Larry Boa. You know, Greg Gross was my hitting coach. Uh, Larry, you know, Gary Maddox came to my wedding. I mean, that's baseball and. I love that about the game. And I think that, you know, having a chance to be part of the nostalgia and, and bringing it forward is, is a great thing. You know, I played in Iowa for two years, not in that particular field, but I played in Des Moines for the Iowa Cubs. Loved it, you know, loved it. And um, the people were great. We had a packed house, 10,000 strongest sectile Stadium. We had good teams. I went to the Iowa State Fair to look how big the cows and the pigs were. And, you know, I was all in, you know. And, and so when you connect the dots between the game, what it means to the community and what it means to the memory of the sport, you know, then you, you know, you are in some ways, you know, keeping the game alive through the next generation by reminding it of its great past. And I always appreciate that.
1: Well, now the number one question I have for you, I got to take you back to Durham. Did you hit the bowl and get a free stake?
0: I didn't, but I, I had this really rare accomplishment. I made probably one of the best plays of my certainly minor league outfield life. They had a kind of a rock warning track. And I made this over-the-shoulder grab, um, and the the announcers liked it so much. I actually won the play of the game, which is supposed to be for dorm bulls players, but they gave it to me as a visiting player. <laughs> so, so I got a. I think I got a gift certificate to a restaurant or steak or something. Uh, it wasn't the bull though. The bull, by the way, in real life was like 500 feet away on top of the roof. It was so far away. It wasn't that right field short porch shot that you saw in the in the movie. So, very different bull.
1: Well, uh, you want to talk about a bull and a guy that has shown up to Oakland and has been crazy, mm-hmm. Starling Marte, in 12 games yep. days. He's hitting 415, three home runs, nine stolen bases, a 1,041 OPS. I knew he was good, but there's something about it. And talk about where a guy gets traded and he turns it on and wants to show his new teammates how good he is.
0: Well, no doubt. I mean, he's, he's been overall an exceptional player. He's had a lot of good years that he's put together and, you know, shown, showcased a lot of skills on both sides of the ball, the base pass. And he has revitalized. And sometimes that opportunity comes where you just get a fresh start. You have a chance to win. You're bringing something that your skill set is so uniquely needed to the team. You, you know, stolen bases and speed. Um, I know Oakland's probably in the you know middle of the pack, 40 some odd team stolen bases. He rattled off nine in like a couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, he's an electric player. And, you know, that is, you know, you talk about genius trades and, and great moves at the right time. He's, uh, you know, hit the jackpot there.
1: Oh, well, you know, I joke all the time on the show about, you know, in the Moneyball days, we couldn't talk about bunting. We couldn't talk about stolen bases because that was basically outlawed. And when he started doing all this, we're looking around going, are, are they allowed to do that now? And now, <laughs> and now everybody's doing it. You, you, Elvis Anderson is stealing a lot more bases. Mark Kana, you got a Matt Chapman. It's like everybody yeah. saw Marte doing it. And they go, I can do that. And now everybody's <laughs> running. We're the running A's now. It's <laughs> unbelievable.
0: I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, look, I have a tremendous appreciation for, uh, you know, Billy Bean and, and what Oakland has brought to how we find value in the game. I, I, that's an important uh, addition to uh, baseball and, and what it's meant. Uh, certainly when you're evaluating talent and trying to build teams and and that's important. But I know that there's an element of it that uh, can be unintended. You, you do create a risk averse environment because you start to say, well, should I steal third? Well, if I make it on this particular count in this situation, I've increased our chances of scoring a run by 20 percentage points. So that's good. But if I get caught, I decrease our chances of scoring by 40%. So once you start looking at that in that, in that kind of term, then you say, well, I'm not going to steal at all. And what it's done is it's zeroed out those minority reports that actually are some of the more exciting parts to the game. Uh, they get you out of the seat. There's some things you can't exactly quantify. About what it does when a player gets traded, steals nine bases, and the whole team's like, "Wait a minute, I can run too." That's havoc for any pitcher. They they can't get in their rhythm. They start, you know, runners are in scoring position automatically because they're running themselves into it. And yeah, the occasional out happens, and and you know, but that's the risk reward you weigh. So I think that that is something that when a team has skills like the A's, that can beat you many different ways. And you're not using all of those ways. You're, you're doing your team a disservice. And I think it's been great to see that they've recognized that. Wait a minute, we actually have these skills. Let's use them.
1: I don't know if you have noticed, but we've talked a lot about it lately on the show. How so many of these pitchers, they're not holding runners on at all. It's like they don't no, even—they don't care—and it's like, why not take advantage of this? Especially the relievers who are all coming in trying to throw a hundred plus miles an hour—they're not paying attention. It's like every—don't you think everybody should be running? If you're not going to be checking me at first or second,
0: well, you're speaking my language as a base stealer guy, um, no doubt. But what what happens is the focal point becomes, let's say, the three-run home run right? I mean, the singles are way down, hits are down, batting averages is down. So you start to say, well, I'm not going to get three consecutive hits off of like, you know, Jacob deGrom. It's just not going to happen. So I'm going to play to hitting the home run. You know, I'm just going to try to, because first of all, there's a shifting defense everywhere. And the A's, by the way, are in, you know, top eight, top 10 in shifting. So once you start defeating yourself in that way, you say, well, <clears throat> I'm going to sit around and, you know, hit the home run. and and just sort of wait for it. So when you play that, the pitchers start to go, well, I can't make this mistake. I'm not worried about this runner. Let me just focus on this, because they are trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And that's what happens. And so as runners, your job then is to exploit when they overcompensate and then focus to the point where they're ignoring something that you can use to beat them. And I think that's exactly what the A's are doing right now.
1: Yeah, we got to sprint to the finish line right now. And obviously we saw how good the White Sox are last night. Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. We got a four-game set with them on the south side coming up here after this series with Texas. Uh, Tampa, we know how tough Tampa is. They've now got a five-game lead. Boston's still there. New York kind of still there. Blue Jays. I mean, the best race is Houston. Leads the A's by a game and a half. Who do you like trending? Other than the A's, who do you like trending right now in the American League?
0: Well, let's see. I mean, they, there's, there's so many examples in terms of who you know, can come out of the woodworks. And, uh, you know, I haven't really looked at the schedule strength, but, you know, the A's are the team that's that's smoking hot right now. I mean, it's hard to to deny that. What is it? Seven in a row at this point. And, uh, you know, Houston's been a juggernaut. I think that there was a little surprise to that because their pitching was kind of younger. And he said, well, you know, I don't know. Every once in a while you look at Seattle and you say, wait a minute now, who are these caps They're coming, they're coming. And then they kind of lose three, four in a row. And then you kind of take them off the map. So there's, there's sort of teams where you look at, you look at the East, you have, you know, whether Boston, Tampa, New York is kind of finding some swagger there a little bit. And, and so they're a team of, of definite concern, too. I'm watching those teams that are kind of in the middle of their division, but, you know, starting to figure out they're outscoring their opponent and they have an upside. That's what I'm, I'm worried about in terms of, you know, who the A's might get, you know, uh, challenged from. Because when you come down to it, these last six, seven weeks of the season, it might come down to your schedule staying healthy, and, you know, guys getting hot at the right time. And that can sort of fall to any team that has a lot of talent.
1: How about your Phillies having a half-game lead over the Mets, a game lead over Atlanta? This this NL East has been crazy.
0: Completely crazy. And part of it is they, um, you know, the Phillies have probably the weakest schedule going forward. and That's something that's played to their advantage. They haven't exactly lit the world on fire. They haven't played good defense. A lot of stuff is, is wrong, but they're starting to at least play where they're not playing down to their competition. They're realizing that they have an advantageous schedule. You know, the Mets are without the Grom. They've made some moves. They've had some injuries. And, and so they're kind of been ripe for the taking. The Phillies sort of took them. So, you know, a lot of baseball left, but it doesn't seem to, you know, that division doesn't have the strongest teams out there. So, you know, it's looking like the West, you know, minus Tatis Jr., uh, seems to have a lot of the chances of being able to, at least the NLS, that could get possibly the, the wild card teams coming out of there. You know, Milwaukee's been running away with it for a while. You know, I was just in Chicago calling the game the Cubs-Brewers, and I watched the 10 nothing game and the 17-4 game. The Brewers were just – they were on fire. So that's definitely a team to watch because they can flat-out pitch.
1: You know, put your professor hat on. How's the school year going to go for you?
0: Oh, wow. You know what? I, I feel like it's, I wish I felt more comfortable as to what, you know, saying like, Oh, we're in the new year feels a little bit like last year, but so I'm hopeful that, you know, I have four kids and they're all different grades, eighth, seventh, fourth, you know, everywhere. And um, I'm hopeful that we can kind of get through it and, and uh, have a good year, but you know, it's a tough time for all of us. You know, we're unprecedented time. That's why something like Field of dreams and, you know, these are things we kind of need to remember and go back and um, touch on again to to just remember not so much like the what you know what makes up baseball, but the why you know what what's the inspiration to what we're doing and why we're doing it and uh, and I think the more we capture that, it helps us deal with the pandemic. It helps us a little bit deal with being kinder and gentler to our neighbor and and our our common our common friend and um, and that's to me what is great about baseball. quite mm-hmm. Frank. You're always looking out. Uh, for the next generation and in that shared space. Well,
1: every time after you leave this show, I always say this show is smarter because you were on it. I always appreciate (laughs) your time. You do so much great work in so many different ways, and we always promote everything you got going with Jason Stark and all your broadcasting and and education. But uh, thank you so much for the time. Be safe, and let's talk soon.
0: Absolutely. Let's do it. And Oakland fans should be really thrilled. You have a great team. So we'll keep it up and look forward to seeing the postseason. Take care. All right. Take care.
1: And from Doug to a historian, a broadcaster, a writer, he's been in the game a long time for ESPN, the great Tim Kirchin. Tim, how excited are you for this four game set between the athletics and the White Sox on the South side?
2: Well, it's a great series between two teams that I think are going to the playoffs. Certainly the White Sox are going to win their division easily. Both teams have the identical record, have identical records. They're both playing pretty well lately. They're pitching. Both teams have been really good lately and they're two really fun teams to watch. So count me in anytime the White Sox and A's are playing, especially late in the season like this with a lot on the line.
1: Yeah, if you think back to our playoff series last year, how exciting that was. And our old friend Jim Harbaugh, when he was uh, the head coach of the 49ers, would always say, iron sharpens iron. I know this is just a four-game set. We got a lot of baseball after this. But don't you think this is good for both these teams to kind of match up and see where you're at? Uh,
2: Absolutely. And the fact that, again, they played each other last year in a, a very good series which the A's won. I'm sure the White Sox haven't forgotten about that. Um, And I think it's always great to play better teams down the stretch, get you even more ready for the postseason. And with so many, frankly, bad teams out there, I think the best way to make it to the postseason is to, to win as many games as you can against good teams. So when October rolls around, you're ready.
1: I am so glad you said that, and that's why we love having you on the program. Because all these people are talking about strength of schedule, who's got the easier schedule? I want to beat the best. That, I mean, Tim, that prepares you for the postseason when you beat the best and you face the best.
2: Yeah, th- there is something to be said for strength of schedule more now than ever. I never used to believe in that, but over the last three years or so, and this is not a good uh, development. The gap between the really bad teams and the really good teams is wider than I know I've ever seen in over 40 years of covering the game and it's not good. So uh, when you beat up on bad teams that w- that's what you're supposed to do but you know bad teams beat good teams all the time. They go into enemy ballparks and sweep a three-game series when that should never happen, but that just doesn't happen anymore. So I just prefer to see two really good teams play. And I think every good team beats a good team. And then they go into the playoffs saying, well, we we knocked them around in August. Now we're ready to knock them around in October.
1: You know, when I think about the A's before the deadline and the A's after the deadline, and I know you're very high on the A's right now. We heard you on Buster's podcast, Baseball Tonight. Uh, what a great podcast! Really, second to none. Just talk about how you see the A's before the trade trade deadline, and now how you see them.
2: Well, I liked them before the trade deadline. I really like them now because of what Starling Marte has done. Especially, I mean, he's got you know, he's got 11 steals and 11 RBIs in his first 15 games. No one's ever done that with their first 15 games for any team, 11 RBIs, 11 steals. That's how productive he has been. He has given them another dynamic offensive player who can hit all throughout the lineup, especially at the top. He's a, is a, an above-average defensive player. So him alone really adds to where the A's are, but they did some other things. You know, Josh Harrison, Jan Gomes, those guys are useful players. And in this day and age, when you use your entire 25-man roster and flexibility is critical and you're resting, guys, you need a really good bench. And that's what the A's have done. So I was very impressed with what they did at the deadline.
1: You know, Tim, it's been really funny. When, When Starling gets on base, everybody in the ballpark knows he's going. And now with these pitchers who are just up there trying to throw as hard as they can and strike everybody out. They're not paying attention to the runner. He's taking advantage of it. It's like we're back in the 80s. It's it's like our guy Ricky Henderson or Vince Coleman is back. Everybody knows he's going, and he keeps stealing these bags.
2: Yeah, and Ricky Henderson is the last A's player to have 11 steals and 11 RBIs over any 15-game period, not just first 15 with the team. That's how productive – Marte has been, and I I find it kind of interesting that there was a time there where the A's said, you know, basically, we don't want anybody to steal on our team. It's not a productive play, but it is now, and it's when you can move up 90 feet and get people going and steal a base like that, I think it really matters, and it really matters to Marte and the A's right now.
1: Well, yeah, uh, Starling has actually thrown down a couple bunts, and I joked with our general manager because we have the general manager show, and I said, David Force, I'm not going to get fired if I talk about stealing bases and bunting, right?
2: <laughs> Cause yeah, I was... I, I, Go ahead. I love to see a good bunt once in a while myself, but I'm 64 years old. And I just remember a time when stealing a base and moving a guy up with a bunt was an important play. We've gotten so far away from it that it's really refreshing to see it used once in a while.
1: You know Tony La Russa, the Hall of Famer, is a friend of our program. We've had him on many times. Obviously, in A's great, and I just thought it was just ridiculous when people thought he wouldn't be able to manage the White Sox. I was like, Are "You kidding me?" Tony has managed some of some of the biggest egos in the history of the game, from Ricky to Jose Canseco to Dennis Eckersley. I mean, some of the greatest players of all time. So I don't think you're shocked that Tony's being successful in Chicago.
2: Not at all, and I was. Uh... I was a little disappointed that some people just said, well, he's too old to do this. And uh, I just wasn't one of those. And I know I checked with Buck Showalter, who I check with on a lot of things these days, as I have for years. And he watched the three-game series between uh, the White Sox and the Yankees. And he assured me, Tony on the field, strategy-wise, is still the same Tony, which means he's totally on top of everything that's going on. And he just takes time to get to know his players. I mean, he knew every player on his team, inside and out, what button to push. It just took him some time to figure out, you know, what to do with some of those White Sox guys that he, frankly, had never met before. Well, he's figuring that out, and Tony done, no surprise to me at least, a really good job managing the White Sox.
1: And talk about, as you prepare for this game, uh, the White Sox, they got a lot of swagger. They got a lot of talent. And for the first time in a while, they're healthy.
2: Yeah, Eloy Jimenez has really made a difference since he's come in. He had back-to-back two homer, five RBI games, which is quite rare today, any day. Um, Luis Robert's back, so they basically have their, their offense back. They made some really important moves at the trade deadline. They got Craig Kimbrell, so now with him, Leon Hendricks, they have two guys at the end of the game throwing you know, mid to upper 90s. Um, it's a, it was a really good team before the trade deadline. It got better at the trade deadline, and then it got even better when the, they really got healthy. So I think the White Sox have as good a chance as any team in the American League to go to the World Series. That's how impressive they are.
1: Well, I want you to put your baseball historian hat on, and we all know that Field of Dreams, the movie, was one of the great, not only baseball movies, but for its time, it was one of the best movies during that time. Uh, Just take us through your thoughts of that game that got great ratings and really kind of, you know, inspired a lot of people to remember about Field of Dreams in Iowa
2: yeah uh it's my favorite movie of all time not my favorite baseball movie my favorite movie period that's how much i love that movie i've watched it a million times and i cry every time i watch it i can't help it and i thought the the whole field of dreams game was just spectacular on every level it was about pure baseball there were no there was no walk-up music and exploding scoreboards and things to do in the stands other than watch the baseball game. I think that was really great. And, uh, of course, we've got a great game, too, which really helps things. So I, I hope everyone watched and, and we just saw how great the game still is. You know, it it has its issues today. and it, it doesn't sell itself very well. But that game right there just showed you again why baseball is the best game there is.
1: Let's end on this. I think about uh, twice I've been to Tokyo with the A's. The A's have always said, hey, listen, we'll go to Australia. We'll go anywhere. We we want that experience. I I look at that field and just to think of how we could grow this. I think every single year we should do this. And at some point, every single franchise should play there. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I agree. I think um, it was such a smashing success. No surprise, by the way that it should be there. They should play a game there every year. And uh, the, the White Sox don't have to play there every year. They should have been the first team to play there, of course. And Maybe the Yankees also. But they should, they should move it around, let other teams go there. But uh, if I were in charge of this, clearly I'm not. I would play a game there every year um, until it just doesn't work anymore, which I can't imagine that happening.
1: Well, it is always an honor to have you on the program. Thank you so much for your time. Be safe, and let's talk later in the season, if not the playoffs, and enjoy this four-game set.
2: Okay, Chris. Thank you.
1: And when the athletics are going to be taking on the Chicago White Sox, we always like talking to a guy that had a terrific career as a player, now as a broadcaster, from the Chicago White Sox, here's Darren Jackson. Well, our next guest does a great job as a broadcaster with the Chicago White Sox, of course, was a terrific player, had a long career. Darren Jackson with us once again. How are you? It's been a while.
3: Good, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's been a while and it's good to be back.
1: You know, we wanted to talk about this series because you look at two teams, two really good teams as they came into this series with the exact same record. But obviously what happened last night with Chris Bassett has kind of changed the narrative because you guys know Chris Bassett with his time from the White Sox. He's a he's a wonderful kid. And to see what happened last night was just so tragic. And it just shows that at times how tough this game can be. And to see him with the blood on the mound, just take us through what it was like at the stadium.
3: Oh no, don't make me relive it. Um, You know, I'm, I'm a pretty emotional guy. So to see something like that happen kind of, you know, had me tearing up because like you said, Chris is such a great person, loved him when he was with us and to see him actually injured like that. I mean, it, it it just breaks your heart because he's having such a phenomenal season. He's, he's the ace of a really good team staff. You know, it's important to your team to have him there and available. And for, for that, Kind of thing to happen to him. Yeah, you don't want to see it happen to anybody, but you know, when you have a personal relationship with somebody, it hurts even more. And yeah, I, I feel for him. And you know, it's just nothing he could have done. He was, he got tried to get that glove up there, it almost got in the right position, and he just missed it. And now he's dealing with a long recovery. And you know, baseball becomes secondary, obviously, but at the same time, you know, the game goes on, it's waiting for no one. And and the White Sox really did take advantage of a situation where, you know, everybody was brokenhearted in a green jersey last night. And you knew with the bases loaded that we were going to break that game wide open because, because they were in a position to just take advantage of any mistake that was going to happen.
1: You know, having worked on the sidelines in the NFL and been around the NFL for years, you know, we do see the stretcher. We see the ambulance come out onto the field. It's very rare in our game, I don't know if I've ever really seen it, where EMTs come out on the field. You've been in this game longer than me. Have you ever really seen that?
3: Um, I have not, but a couple of times in my career seen that. Um, And, you know, we had had a guy here about five years, six years ago, Danny Farquhar, who went down in our dugout with a a brain aneurysm. And, um, that was, that was heartbreaking. It did. We were so fortunate that he happened to be in the dugout, but the EMTs came and they were there and they took him out and got him out of here and basically saved his life. And yeah, I mean, you, you can never get over seeing these things happen out in the field. I mean, go back to when John McSherry, the umpire, uh, at home plate, you know, he, he, he fainted right behind home plate during a game back in the eighties and, and then didn't make it. So there's so many tragedies can happen in these in these avenues and these venues that, um, you know, they're they're memorable for the wrong reasons. And and last night's going to be that one again.
1: How hard is it for the players after you see all that the delay? Everybody's concerned because obviously there's people in the dugout who know Chris for the White Sox. Obviously, what he means to the A's as a a spiritual leader to this team. Just for as a player, how tough is it just to then go on and concentrate and play the
2: game.
3: No, that's the thing. And that's one of the things I talked about after that fact. And I unfortunately was able to predict that the enemy was going to be blown wide open. I said, the White Sox are probably going to blow this in wide open right now, because there's no way you can just get back to business without it already being an emotional situation. How's your focus going to be at a level where you can beat a top professional at his game. It's just not going to happen. And you know, things settle down because you move on past that because you're a competitive athlete and you have to, but that inning was a goner for them. They just had no chance The White Sox pile on five runs out of nowhere. And, and from there, think about it. The A's are like, yeah, we're losing five. none. let's come on guys, let's come back. But how are you really, really emotionally going to be back in that after seeing what happened to Chris and not aware of what the recovery is going to be. It's just, it's one of those games for the A's. Unfortunately, they just never really had a chance to get back in it because of the emotion they'd already spent worrying about their teammate.
1: Yeah. You know, doing the post game show last night and some of our callers were actually in tears and, you know, not knowing what was going to happen with Chris as he was in the hospital, but good news received stitches He's going to have to have surgery on the fracture in his right cheek, but he's going to be okay. That is the main thing. And I want to put you in the A's clubhouse right now. If you are a player in the A's clubhouse, isn't it time to rally tonight for your teammate?
3: Yeah, there's that hope, Chris. I mean, but look, the the reality is you're only as good as your ability in the first place. And how do you guys match up against us tonight? Because it is back to competition. It is head-to-head, two top teams in the American League going back at it. And, yes, you know, the emotion of watching Chris go down last night. Now, you get back to being a professional. These guys have definitely got their focus back. I guarantee it. They're going to come out swinging, but I've always found and felt it was hard to try and reach for that extra emotional support for yourself to say, hey, we can do this for Chris. You know, the 1-1 for the Gipper thing is not necessarily – going to happen unless it's that day. Uh, the next day, it's usually back to business as usual with the thought that, of course, your teammate is is recovering, but it's hard in this game to, when you play every single day to draw on extra strength and ability because you're trying to do that every day anyway.
1: You know, I think about Brian Goodwin. I mean, obviously, he's just trying to have a good at bat. I mean, he's not trying to hit anybody in the head. I mean, it's, 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 it's just the competition. How do you think this affects him?
3: Yeah, obviously he's bothered by that because he's a good person also. So he's not somebody that's happy of, of that outcome, but he also knows there was nothing that he could have done differently. He couldn't have controlled that issue. He could have been out just as easily. Chris could have got the glove up and made the play and it wouldn't even be a story. So I think he just understands it's just unfortunate and there's nothing more he could have done. And he's not going to change his approach. He's going to try and hit the ball hard, right back up the middle or to right field or to left field. And as athletes, again, all you can do is be the best you can be at that moment and try and, you know, kind of respond to whatever's coming your way. But we can go back, as you said, the football. I mean, nobody's ever, ever prepared for the major injuries that happen in that, even though they're coming. It's football. Bad things are going to happen. And when they do, you keep going and move on. And I think with Brian, he's just going to be somebody that realizes he's still got to play the game the exact same way to be successful.
1: Let's get to some baseball here. You know, I think about the White Sox. Just you got it all. You got ath- you got athletes, guys that can run. You got a lot of power. Uh, your bullpen is, is unbelievable. Is this one of the better White Sox teams you've ever been around?
3: Yeah. You know what's crazy is we are right about a hundred percent full strength. We'll get Yasmani Grandal back here pretty quick, and then we will be back hundred percent and at full strength, and then we will be able to get into a great rhythm. But we still have we still have some issues. We still got to fine tune some stuff. We play some tough teams. We just we just lost two out of three to the Yankees with with uh, them crushing some of the fastballs that we're tossing at them at a hundred miles an hour. So we got to figure out the game plan against certain teams. If we match up well against the A's, it's because oh we're doing this and we just match up well. Are we going to match up well against Houston? Are we? It really, as you know, comes down to series series to series on how you're going to play against that team. We have everything that's real good on paper. Now it's a matter of just being consistent every day and, and trying to, I think trying to set up the roster and the lineup. If we're going to be in the postseason, a matchup against whatever teams we're going to play at that time, because we have shown at times that we're very vulnerable and we've got to fix some of those issues because otherwise You know, right now you've seen two games for the White Sox and we've been at at our top performance. So it's hard to say, oh, you've got weaknesses, but we see them every day. And there are some times where we we have some glaring weaknesses that need to be improved upon.
1: Yeah, I mean, other than the San Francisco Giants, let's be honest, just about everybody, wouldn't you say, has been streaky this year?
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. That's what we need to talk about. Because we can say White Sox have been really hot, and then they've been cold. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride. We're just in a division where we look like we're the most dominant team in baseball because we're up by 11 games in the division. Well, yeah, we've played some tough teams and looked bad. Then we've played some bad teams and looked great, so it's been hot and cold, and I agree with you. Other than San Francisco, who seems to just have it all going on and been doing it all year long, It's hard to say that anybody else has been that same level because I thought the A's were going to hold on to the division for a while. Houston comes on, and they've been, like, the toughest team we've seen this year. And then we took two out of three from them at our ballpark. So it's like, what are you going to get? I don't think anybody really knows. That's why it's going to be important come uh, time getting to the postseason where you're playing at your best.
1: Please tell me you were at the Field of Dreams game in Iowa.
3: Oh, man. Yes, Chris. We were fortunate enough to go ahead and get the chance to be there We were traveling all season long, basically. So we were able to get to Iowa and the setting itself um, was just phenomenal. It was as if they had written a movie script and it lived out. There was a one take from the fireworks that went off after the home run of Anderson uh, to the guys celebrating to every aspect of that game. It was almost like a Norman Rockwell painting that just had taken place and it was live action. It was pretty amazing to be part of.
1: And what was it like when all of a sudden you're like, I can't remember what it was, third or fourth inning, and there's a hot air balloon going by?
3: (laughs) Hey, at that point, I go, well, somebody decided to be part of the action. How about that? (laughs) And then I think, then only to find out that it must have been part, it was part of the show. That's what I mean. It was almost like a movie. They had all these things. Okay, set off the fireworks. Let the rockets go. Hey, let the doves fly by. I mean, it was, here comes the balloon. It's like, what is this? And then they had a shot of it from a drone looking back at the field and it was beautiful. But then that thing went and landed past the original Field of Dreams field and it was back there anchored somewhere. I go, well, obviously that was meant to be on the show. So it worked out perfectly.
1: Can you imagine as an outfielder, you're roaming the outfield and behind you is all that corn? Or can you imagine back in your day, you're hitting and you hit one end of the corn? I mean, that would be like <laughs> the coolest thing in <laughs> your career.
3: Well, you're right, and and just you bringing that up. So watching these baseballs, these home runs, because there were plenty of in that game, watching them disappear into the corn was so unique and so original. It was a beautiful thing to see. It just it made you feel like you were a kid playing in the sandlot, uh, you know, with the cornfields back there. It was, again, I mean, it was idyllic. It's just not something you can make up. It was uh, one and done.
1: I mean, think that, it'll never be replicated.
3: You can play more games there, but there'll never be anything that replicates that emotion, that feeling of that first game.
1: And I got to think about you as a player and for all players and all, you know, obviously, yes, you're right. You'll never you can't duplicate that. I mean, there's there's only one first but shouldn't this kind of be something that we look at on a yearly basis and throughout time we get every franchise there to experience this because obviously when you, now Netflix is going to have a whole series on field of dream I mean this is one of the great movies of our time don't you think we should all play there at least once
3: I think I actually believe Chris that's going to be the plan I I think Major League Baseball has thought this out now especially after it being so successful I know there's a game already going to be planned for next year But I think every team probably will get the opportunity over the next, whatever, 15 years to play in that in that stadium, play in that ballpark and be part of a historic setting and get the feel of what it was like to do it. So I believe you're correct. I think that's going to be the case.
1: Let's end on this. Tony La Russa is obviously a friend of the program, one of the great A's managers of all time, and we've helped him out with ARF in different situations. We love Tony, and I just laughed when people said, ah, he's too old, he's not going to be able to manage the <laughs> egos. I'm like, egos? He managed Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco, <laughs> Dave Parker. He's <laughs> Big McGuire. He's, he, I mean, Eckersley, he has managed some of the <laughs> biggest egos we have ever seen. Just talk about what he has meant as a manager leading this group.
3: Um, I'll go back to when I heard he was being hired and I said, let me think about this. Let me think about this. And I started putting in the right perspective, going, okay, age has nothing to do with. it. I don't care about that. That's irrelevant. Um, has he been away from the game? No, he's been up watching the game. He's seen how the game's changed. Okay. And yeah, personalities. Oh yeah. He dealt with bigger personalities than white Sox have. There's no question about that. Will he be successful? I said, let's wait and see why, why would anybody question it? Let's wait and see how he does. Why? Why would you assume he can't do well? And here we are a first place team. So all those naysayers can bite it because they were all wrong. I I'm happy he's here. And by the way, watching him manage this year, I've obviously played against him. Watching him manage is is something I've never experienced because especially as a broadcaster now for 22 years, you look down and predictable scenes come up in a game like, okay, it's a bunt, It's a hit and run. It's all right, get him over, get him in with Tony. I can't do that. It's, it's, It's not predictable because he goes on his gut. He goes on that individual in that moment in that setting against that pitcher. I look down and I say, "Well, this is what could happen," but with Tony, I don't know if it's going to happen. And it's great. It's refreshing, and I love it. And and I'm happy as can be that he comes back to a place where it all started for him under under an owner that uh, has has wanted him back here, and they get back together. It's a perfect marriage, and and it's a success story that. I mean I'm so happy for the White Sox and the city of Chicago and you know what for all of uh, all of his fans like yourself Chris for for him for your backing of him in the past you knew he could be successful and you're a, you're in the small percentage of people so it's it's a great story for us and I'm happy as hell that it's turning out the way it is
1: Hey great stuff as always we always appreciate it and it's an honor to have your time and uh, let's hook up in September when you guys come out here to Oakland
3: Well I hope so but I got to tell you I'm hoping for a better outcome than what we had last year. Yeah,
1: no, (laughs) we're not. (laughs) Be safe and be well, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Chris. A really smart crew right here. Doug Glanville, Tim Kirkton, and Darren Jackson. That's going to do it for A's Unfiltered, and these are the type of guests we get each week because of Commander Cody on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio.
2: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.